Praise be to God. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, listen, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Glory be to God. Amen. What does this mean? That's that question that really is in the child heart of all of us. What does this mean? That's the question we all use to find our bearing, to find out what really is going on. What does this mean? It's a question that we use to understand what is Memorial Day all about anyway? Many people look at it as just an extended weekend, a three-day weekend, but it has far deeper roots for many of us. It's a, a remembrance of those who've given their lives in service to this country, but not just this country, in service to an idea of freedom. It was known originally as Remembrance Day. It came about not long after the Civil War, that war that took more American lives than any other war, that war that affected every single community, people having lost their sons. Such incredible devastation. 
So Remembrance Day was formed, and it's really unclear as to where it started. In truth, it was something that emerged as a grass movement almost everywhere. Waterloo, New York is credited with the start, but that's because Congress in the end had to decide on somewhere. And it was May 30th that it was for so many years, Remembrance Day, that became known as Memorial Day. And then in 68 and eventually and in 71 of the previous century, 1968 71, Memorial Day was finally put together as a three-day weekend so that federal workers could have a three-day time off. But it has always been a remembrance of all those who've served and lost their lives in war for the sake of freedom. So that's what we tell our children as they attend the Memorial Day Parade. By the way, I'll need some direction as where I should park and how I can get out afterwards. So let me know what secrets you have, but I look forward to that day with you. This is what we do to tell our children to explain why we do what we do. What does this mean? It's more than candy thrown from the trucks. It's a time of remembering. Why are we in the cemetery, the child will ask? What are those stones for? Why do they put flags on stones? We take these questions as opportunities to explain deeper meaning. And so it's appropriate for us also to ask in the church, What does this mean as we come into red drapery and all these origami doves hanging from the ceiling as we walk in? What is Pentecost anyways? We know it's a church holiday. We've heard it. We've grown up in the church long enough that we feel like we should know that if someone asks us, we should have an answer. But we hope, oh, we hope that no one will ask us. We know it has something to do with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Red is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It comes from images of fire, as well as a dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, something like a dove came down upon him. So these become images to remind us of the Holy Spirit. And it's hard for us because it's hard to capture just exactly who is the Holy Spirit. This third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We spend a lot of time talking about God the Father. We spend an enormous amount of time as Christians talking about Jesus Christ, the Son. But the Holy Spirit, that becomes a little more tricky. As reformers, as the frozen chosen, would it surprise you to discover that Calvin, John Calvin, out of which the roots of our tradition come, was one of the foremost theologians on the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost, we kind of celebrate but struggle to understand what's going on. And today, maybe we might come away with a little more understanding. First, we need to begin with Pentecost itself, the day of Pentecost. That was a day in which they were gathering. It was one of the three largest feasts that Jews were called to come and gather in Jerusalem at the temple 
three significant feasts in the calendar year, just as if someone were to come to our country and ask, what are your major holidays? We'd probably list Christmas and Easter and Memorial Day and July 4th, and someone might even say Halloween. The three major feasts, some of which you already know, Passover. And the last feast was the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles when the final harvest was brought in. But Pentecost was known originally as the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after Passover. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks is what it was known to the Jews and the Hebrews, but Greek being taken over everywhere as language, it became known as Pentecost even in their time. And so there they are, all Jews gathered together from traveling from all over. Those who lived outside of country might make this pilgrimage once in their lifetime, but people from all over, all other nations, Jews from everywhere would come and gather at one of these three feasts. So there they are gathered for the Feast of Weeks. It's possible that if you were a traveler that was a Jew traveling from other, one other country, you probably made your once-in-the-lifetime pilgrimage for Passover and then stayed those seven weeks so you could also take in Pentecost. So the city is full, kind of like Holland, Michigan during tulip time. It's burgeoning in every way. People, locals are thinking about what streets to take and what streets not to take. Where to park your camel and where not to park your camel. The Feast of Weeks. What does this mean? Well, there are three significant things that happen that have to get our attention because it got their attention. Three significant events that happened. Two of them were simultaneous at the same time in many ways. And that first one, it was this, there's this sound like a rushing wind. I want you to understand, we think of the wind, and that's okay because the Spirit is part of wind. The same Hebrew word for wind and breath and spirit, it's all the same word, ruach. When God breathed into Adam life, he breathed in ruach, breath, the Spirit of God. But there's this enormous sound like a mighty rushing wind. Kind of like when people talk about tornadoes, what do they, what do they say it sounds like? It sounds like a, a train, right? What we're being told is to pay attention to, there's this sound, and it sounds just like when a huge wind comes up, and we know what that's like. We're out picnicking, it's calm, and suddenly, and suddenly a front moves in, and the paper plates go flying, and everybody's trying to hold everything down, and there's this rush, this enormous sound. It's a sound like a mighty wind that just fills the room. What does this mean? These are some of the thoughts that are going through their minds. You know, we've learned that God gave Moses and the people the Ten Commandments. When they came out of Egypt, they were wandering, and they end up at the foot of Mount Sinai. What we don't remember as well is all that took place to bring that about. God 
called Moses and said, look, I want the people to gather before me at the mountain. They are not to touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they will die. But they are to prepare themselves. This is in chapter 19, just before chapter 20 of Exodus. Chapter 20 is where we get the Ten Commandments. It's also in Deuteronomy. But in the 19th chapter, it's all about this preparation, that they're going to have a meeting with God. The people of God are going to meet God. And it's going to be at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they're told to take two days to prepare, to get themselves ready, to consecrate themselves, to clean themselves up, to not partake in certain things, to be ready in every way, because on the third day, they're going to meet God. And on the third day, as they get ready to go out, suddenly there is this enormously loud sound, like a trumpet. And as they look out towards the mountain, they see that it is full of smoke, that the mountain is ablaze. It is a moving moment for them, this enormous crushing trumpety sound and the whole mountain ablaze. And they are in absolute fear and dread of God. They don't want to go near. It is a pivotal moment that is recorded throughout the scriptures and is repeated back upon over and over again. Even the author of Hebrews in the New Testament references this event. It is the moment that they meet God. There's a loud sound and there's fire. Does it sound familiar? Sorry for the pun. There's a loud sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then they look, and there seems to be like tongues of fire dividing and resting on each of them. Notice the fire imagery. But notice this time, instead of keeping far away, that it's come near. Something powerful is happening. Moses before the burning bush. Take off your sandals, Moses, for you are on holy ground. The bush is ablaze, but it's not consumed. You're in the presence of God. And what do we find now? That these disciples, now to be apostles, are now in the presence of God, and God's Spirit is descending on each of them. It's a powerful moment. The sound is so amazing, so astounding, that people come running from everywhere to say, what's going on? It's not some little sound. It, you know, it, it's happened before to some of us. We hear a sound and we all look to see what was that. This is loud enough that it brings everyone. Which brings us to that third sign. What does this mean? Suddenly, all those who gather from Jerusalem itself, from Judea, the outlying areas, or even those who are from a whole other countries that are Jews that have made their pilgrimage for one of the three festivals, who've made their way all the way there, they hear all these disciples speaking in their own native language. They hear them clearly. It's their language that they're hearing. And yet, how is it I'm hearing my language now that I'm in Jerusalem? And it's obvious this isn't their language. How can they do this? It's obvious because they're Galilean. They're from the north country of Israel. It's clear to me that this is not their native tongue, and yet I hear it in my native tongue. 
It'd be like, um, you know, the, the, the Galileans were recognizable for their language. It would be um, similar to us hearing uh, someone from Dallas South doing an Australian accent. We'd catch the Australian accent, but we'd also catch their southerner. And, of course, if we were down south, we'd be saying that it's the same way. It'd be like hearing a northerner trying to do an Australian accident. That was lousy, wasn't it? Oh, well. The point being, they're smart people. They're not foolish or dumb or stupid. They can hear that something extraordinary is happening. They're hearing the mighty works of God in their own native language by individuals who are clearly not from their area and yet are speaking fluently. Most of our people who practice the languages for days today had to practice. Even if it's a language they're learning in class or a language that they once knew, they had to practice, with the exceptions of the Laotians, which just bless you, thank you. Such a beautiful language. But they're instantly doing this. How does that happen? What does this mean? Not only how is it happening, but why is it happening? What's the point? Why, what's going on? That's the question. What does this mean? And in the absence of information, we like to fill in the narrative. We like to say what's going on. When we don't have an answer, we like to fill in our answer. And so, obviously, uh, you know, this is crazy sounding what's going on. And so, the, the thought, those who want to mock, throw out the idea that they're drunk. Well, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's not a good enough explanation and I don't know about you, if anybody here has been drunk ever before, but you're not likely to start speaking in another native tongue. If you did, we'd have a lot more students imbibing before an exam. It's not a good enough explanation. What does this mean? It means a day has come that we never thought would come. A day has come that we knew about, but in as much as someone asked us if we said the day was going to come or not, we'd say yes, but in our hearts we think no, or I'll never see it. I want to share with you... Um, about a decade ago, um, our oldest boy was involved in um, a homeschool marching, or excuse me, a homeschool um, band and orchestra. And that group, along with all the schools in West Michigan, were invited to uh, go and hear uh, a youth concert at DeVos by uh, Grand Rapids has an incredible youth symphony and band and every year or most years they would send out an invitation to all the schools that anybody who's in band may come at, to this event. You just had to sign up 
And, you know, DeVos Hall, which is really sizable, can only hold so many people. How many of you have been to DeVos? You've been there before for a big Broadway show or something like that? You know what I'm talking about. It is a massive space, right? And so all the West Michigan um, band and orchestra players, our students, were invited to come to this. Well, you would think they'd all flock to it, but they recognize that not everybody's going to make time for that. So they threw in some, some teasers as well that, you know, you could come and win prizes. And the grand prize would be an iPad type thing. Well, um, our son really wanted to go. And so we said, well, okay. And, and we signed up figuring, okay, he must be really interested in music. Well, it, it was after signing up and a few weeks out, we discovered it wasn't the music that was driving him. He wanted an iPad. And of course, you know, as a parent, you're dealing with all the stuff about trying to teach the kid what it's really about. And, but it was about the iPad. And, and we get these questions almost every night. What do you think the chances are that I'll win the iPad? I'm thinking like zero, right? I mean, but you know, what, what are the chances? Well, you know, 1%. Why? Why 1%? You know, and so I'd have to up my percentage just to get through the day, right? Uh, and... and so the time came for us to go, and we were, on one hand, originally when we signed up, we thought this will be cool. We'll hear really good music, and it'll inspire our child to be that much better. But I got to be honest with you, by the time the day came, I was dreading it. Because I was going to have to be the parent that dealt with all that disappointment, right? So we get there. We got there early enough, but late enough that the, the, the whole first floor was full, and we had to go upstairs to, what do they call that, the mezzanine, or, and further back, and we were, I don't know how many rows back. You can see that there's people up there, but, you know, you can't see the faces well enough. And we listened to all this wonderful music, and we're trying to get into it, and really up and down, and I can see my kid is, like, not appreciating the music. It's, you know, when's the time for the iPad? So then we got to the time for the prizes, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is, this is crazy. Um, and they're giving away prizes that should thrill any band student, right? You get a beautiful um, music stand. And I'm sitting there, oh, but please let my kid win the music stand, you know, because I, and we got through all those, and then it came time for the iPad. And they said my son's name. And I said, what does this mean? And they said his name again. Because you had to go down and get your prize? So finally, I had to yell, we're up here! Because I realized if they gave that iPad away before we got down there, I was toast. But what does this mean? My child had more hope than I ever did that the day would come. They're mocking these disciples that are speaking in other languages because they can't make sense of it. Everybody is gathered to try and understand what's going on. What does this mean? And Peter boldly stands up and says, I'll tell you what this means. And he gives a passage that we're familiar with because it's in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But it comes from the prophet Joel. And even though we might not be familiar with the prophet Joel, they were. 
They were very familiar. Joel, like so many other prophets, beats up on the people of God, telling them how they have to turn back, have to, have to turn from all their evil deeds, how, how an awful day of the Lord is going to come. It's going to be a day full of absolute punishment. Joel is the one who talks about a punishment of, of locusts coming that just eat and devour everything. It leaves everything barren. And as much as that sounds awful, it's really an image of all these other armies that God is going to let come and destroy the people of God. It's a day of the Lord that you just don't want to come. But then there's this switch at the end of chapter 2. There's this incredible switch where the day of the Lord now is a different day of the Lord. And it's a day where it speaks of, but if we change our hearts, if we, if we actually turn and follow God, God really wants to restore us and make us whole again. And it goes on to say, there will be a different day of the Lord. That day of the Lord will be far different than anything else we ever saw. That day of the Lord is going to come. And when that day comes, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to be freely poured out on everyone. Now, I want you to understand what they're saying there. We're used to our Bible stories reading about different characters in the Bible. But when we read it, we often find that there's this little nugget in each time that, and then the Spirit of God was upon them. Like, you remember Samson, you know, Samson, when he, he's a tragic story in so many ways, but the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he, he pulls down the, the pillars of the house, and it, it's, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon people at different times in the Old Testament and gives them power and ability to do things they might not otherwise do. So what the prophet Joel is telling is that God has a day planned in which he's going to pour out his spirit now on everyone. It's not going to be for one person or this person for a special case. It is going to be that God is going to open up the heavens and he's going to pour out his spirit on everyone. Your sons, your daughters, your female slaves, your male slaves, on everyone. The days are coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And so as these disciples are speaking in all different tongues, and they themselves must have been just absolutely amazed. And everybody's wondering, What's, what does this mean? Peter gets up and says, I'll tell you what it means. It means that day that we knew would someday come, that admittedly we all hope it'll come, but just can't see it coming. That day has just come. And Peter goes on to explain that it's because Jesus, God sent his son Jesus to die for each one of us, to take away our sins, to make us whole and right before God such that we now have every right to crawl up into the lap of the Holy One. That mountain that you dare not touch, get close to, that's been all taken away. We've been given access to God as children of God. And what's more, Peter is explaining, it doesn't just end there. God has now poured out his Spirit upon us upon us. 
What does that mean? It means that God's grace has so opened up upon us, been so lavished upon us. It's more than the forgiveness of sins. It is God embracing us and wanting to make us into the people we are called to be. Pentecost is the celebration of God's releasing the Spirit for the church of Jesus Christ. But it is not a one-time event. It is for us even now. Those divided tongues as a fire on top of each of them is a significant moment. You know, there was another incredible moment in the Old Testament where fire was involved. David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, you're not the one to do it, but your son is. And so when Solomon came to power as king, he had the temple built, an incredible temple. It's beautifully described. And when that temple was finally put in place, they got all ready for that first sacrifice to God. The altar was prepared, the, the, the sacrifices were put on, and then Solomon, and it's recorded in both Kings and in Chronicles, this part in particular in Chronicles, it's recorded that Solomon, this king, now offers an incredibly long prayer to God about how they are going to follow God and not walk away from God how they deserve all sorts of punishments if they do. This incredibly long prayer, beautiful prayer. And when Solomon finishes the prayer, it's now time to, to light that altar and, and to dedicate the temple and get going, only they don't get a chance to do that because God himself sends fire down from heaven and consumes the altar. God is the one who consumes the sacrifice, the very first one. And what happens is all the people gathered, Solomon included, they all fall to their knees and they praise God and they talk about God's steadfast love that it endures forever. God's grace, God's mercy. They just praise God, falling on their faces. The disciples are gathered there and a sound like a mighty wind comes and then there's flames like a fire on each of them. God has once again sent his flames, his fire, his spirit. And this time it's not consuming them, but rather it's marking something that is powerful. That God is no longer going to be housed in a temple. That everyone has to gather from all over and come to a temple. But instead, God is choosing, and Paul later writes about this. God is choosing to make his temple, his dwelling place in each one of us who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is no longer a structure. It is now each one of us that the Holy Spirit dwells in. And Jesus himself promised that he would send the Comforter, the Spirit of God, to be with us. That Spirit of God is that, that voice, that nudging, that leading. At times, many times, we ignore it. We think, that's crazy. We can't imagine why we'd ever do that or ever have that thought. That is the Spirit pushing and prodding and leading and challenging us to draw closer to God. And we can have a powerful impact on people. You know, the other night is graduation week, right? And uh, Thursday, I wasn't at Hamilton's graduation because my nephew graduated from Kalamazoo Christian. So we were down there, a beautiful ceremony, but it went late. And uh, like truly good parents, we had failed to feed everyone in our family. So there we are traveling home at 9, 9.20, and um, 
uh, you know, what, what, what do people want? It turned out it was Culver's. And, but we're all tired. We're very tired. So we just went to the drive-thru. And the drive-thru line was long. I was like, oh my goodness, all these people want ice cream. I just want food. I was not at my best. I was a wee bit cranky, maybe even hangry. But that's okay, because I wasn't as bad as some of the others in the car. <laughs> there we are, and the car in front of us is an old, uh, older car beat up, and, and someone in our car says, what's that smell? And it was a smell of like uh, burning, um, burning rubber. You know, when, uh, when, a, when a car, you can tell a car is like it's eating its own valves, you know, or, or when it's you know, taking care of its own gaskets, you know, when it's on its last legs. That's what we were taking in, the car in front of us. And some of you are shaking your heads. So, you know, I did that internal air circulation so we can only have our air, you know, and we're stuck behind this car the whole way. And uh, finally we get up to the, you know, and he, that, that car pulls forward finally through the drive through stuff, and I wait further behind. I'm going to take my time to these windows now trying to give space. I get up to the window to pay, and uh, instead of being paid, the guy thrusts the drinks at me, you know, in the, those drink holders, you know, that none of us like. So I've got all these drinks, and, 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 but he keeps giving me stuff, and, I, and I, I'm trying to give him my card. I want to pay. And he looks at me, and I, I'm thinking, oh, they got one of those people that doesn't understand how this work working there. And I, I, I've got to pay. And, and, the per, and the person in the window says, oh, the car in front of you paid for you. Now, I've had that happen before, like in the coffee line at Big B or something like that. Someone buys you coffee and, you know, you keep it going, you buy the person behind you. But this person has just paid a $40 plus bill because my family wasn't eating cheap today. And I'm looking and I'm like, oh, oh. And he said it to me like I would know that they'd pay for me. So I'm like, do I know them in front? I'm at a Culver's that's far enough away from our church. I don't think that's anybody in our church. Who's paying for us? And so then I go, oh, it's one of those pass it on things. So I, I said, how long has this been going? Well, I don't know. Not uh, well, how much is the person behind us? <laughs> I got quite a deal. You know, you're trapped. You don't know what to do. And so we pull forward to wait for our food, and that other car's in front, and I just, I can't help it. I have to get out and say something. So I go out, and I walk up, and this kid, only one person, is maybe just out of high school? And I, I said, thank you. He smiled, beaming, as if I just made his day. The kid was aglow, just aglow, because he knew he'd blessed us. I don't know his story, but it was humbling. I'd made his day because he'd had a chance to bless us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes us and moves us out of thinking of ourselves and challenges us to think of others and how we might bless them and help them know the incredible grace of God, the incredible joy that we truly have. When we really stop and think about it, despite all the troubles and absolute sorrows we face, and boy, there are many, that in the end, 
we at any time can crawl up into the lap of God of the Father through Jesus Christ. This is a day about the gift that God has given, that he's given us the Spirit of God to love and give grace and mercy to everyone, to bless them fully. So I challenge you today to live in God's grace. And as you live in God's grace, allow the Spirit to speak to you that you might be a blessing to others, that others might hear in your actions the very words of God, that in the cultural moments that you're in, they may hear you speaking the very love of God in all that you do. What does this mean? This means that God has come to us and he's not leaving. May God be praised. Let's pray. Lord, may your spirit move among us like a mighty rushing wind. May the sound of your grace be heard in home after home. May we be reminded that we, each of us, are a dwelling place of you, a chance to show your love and your light to all nations and all peoples. Help us, O Lord, to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.